Well, welcome to the Exchange Online. I'm happy that um, you were able to join us tonight. And I'll, I'll just be all, uh, just straightforward right off the bat. Uh, tonight's subject has been weighing on me. And I, I'll be honest, I don't expect to come across incredibly polished tonight. Uh, I don't expect to come across perfectly tonight, but I do have a lot to say. Let me just say this, like there's so much going through my mind in this moment. And the way that I go to put together a message is this. I start by just vomiting everything on paper. Like I just, everything that I want to talk about, everything that my heart is feeling, everything that is going on. And the problem is I was sitting there for so long yesterday, just looking because it was so much. And there's so much to talk about. And there's so many different aspects of this topic. There's so many different ways to say these things. And in my heart, I want to make sure that I don't leave something out. I want to make sure I don't offend someone. And so in that, in that, I, I felt like maybe I just should do small groups tonight, or maybe we should just tell them to watch somebody else. But I realized in this time, as someone who is a white person, as someone who is a leader of a group in the church, it is not okay anymore for me to be quiet. It's not okay just to say, listen to others. There has to be a conversation, and it does have to start with leadership, and it does have to start in the church. And, and here's, here's what I know. Many of you have felt the same way. You've, you've felt that you can't say certain things because you're afraid to offend. Or you're afraid not to say things right. But let me just say this. This is a time where that is no longer an excuse. It is not an excuse not to say something because you're afraid of what you're going to say. This is a time to say something because you're afraid that someone won't hear. You're afraid that something won't be said. And as I'm speaking tonight, here's what I ask you to do. Don't ask the question, but what about? Like I'm, I'm going to talk about situations and I'm going to talk about things that happened. And very quickly, many times we go, but what about this? Or, but what about that? Or maybe this instance. Don't think about, but what about? Think about this. Ask this question. Uh, what do I need to do in response? No matter what the but what abouts are. Because for so many years, we have sat in a place where we're so afraid to call something racist that, that we will listen to anything else that is said. And we will accept any other narrative that allows us to move forward with allowing us to feel comfortable in the racism that's still there. So as I, as I talk tonight, let's just start off with prayer. God, I pray right now uh, for you to speak through me. God, I pray that... Um, your words are known. God, this is a topic that is so close to your heart. And it's a topic that just when it's going wrong, just reviles you. It hurts you as you see people that are treated as less than your creation. God, I pray tonight that we will have a good discussion. God, I pray that tonight in small groups that we will have an incredible talk and just understanding and learning from each other. As we learn to tackle this topic, as we learn to go after this sin that is in so many of our lives. God, I pray that you help us in that tonight. See, guys, I want you to understand there's always been a white 
narrative. There's always been a narrative that goes along with it. And right now, if you look for it, you will find it. I mean, you will see in Breonna Taylor's instance, you will find a white narrative, even though she was shot in cold blood in her house. You will see a white narrative with Ahmaud Arbery, where people are saying, oh, they were just defending themselves. He wasn't killed in cold blood. And you will see a narrative with George Floyd that will give us the possibility of staying comfortable. But what I want to say is we cannot stay comfortable. We cannot just accept a narrative every time that allows us to feel okay about the situation. We have to lean into the uncomfortability of what is going on. We have to lean into the problem and we have to be uncomfortable and we have to wrestle with it because racism is real and it's complicated and it's a mess, but that doesn't mean we move away from it. See, I've seen responses from people whose comfort has been attacked. I've listened to voicemail messages of my friends that are pastors that have given incredibly even messages, incredible messages that weren't attacking, that were just honest. And I've heard responses from people calling them racist, calling them race baiters in what they're doing. And I'm going, how can someone say those things? See, I need you to understand what has happened. The belief that racism is gone is not true. Here's what's happened. It's been shamed and it's been yelled at and it's gone underground. It's gone underground. And the thing is now, you don't know who's racist until something happens. You don't see the racism until you see them becoming uncomfortable. Guys, I know this. You've heard me talk about this before. I've talked about this in the exchange. I talked about it from main stage. I, made the, I, I talked about the fact that Jesus wasn't white. You know, he wasn't white. He wasn't the only Middle Easterner who was white. And if he was white, he would have stuck out. You would have been amazed by the talk that I had back. The emails that I received of people that were ticked off that I said Jesus wasn't white. And giving explanations and saying this and that or showing these statistics. And I'm going, you don't understand what it means to call Jesus white because Jesus being white was not a okay thing. It was actually a symbol of the black oppression because white people, if our savior can be white, then it's okay to oppress those that look different than us. If our savior looks like us, it's okay to be racist against those that look different than us. There will always be a narrative. And that's why, to me, one of the scariest moments, yes, don't, don't let me lessen George Floyd. Don't make me lessen Ahmaud Arbery. But it was the Amy Cooper in the park with Christian Cooper. If you haven't heard this story, Amy Cooper was in the park. Christian Cooper is a black man who was dressed to go bird watching. If you see his clothes, you'll understand what I'm saying. He has big goggles, I mean, uh, binoculars around his neck. He has zero threatening characteristics. Amy Cooper was walking her dog. He asked her to pick up her dog's poop and she got mad. She got angry and she decided to call the cops and to put on this show where she acts like she is crying. She's calling the cops and he's taping it. And she is saying how afraid she is and how this man is coming after her. And what you saw in a moment is a woman that never would have admitted that she was racist, her racism bleeding out. And what's so scary about that is she weaponized systemic racism against him. 
See, she didn't need mace when she had race. She understood. She understood the what cops and black people have dealt with for so long. And at least she understood she was scaring him away. And at worst, she understood he could be beaten and maybe even murdered because a white woman said she was scared. And she was okay with that. We cannot sit by and believe it's not in our hearts. We cannot sit by and believe it's not there, it's not real. See, I'm amazed at how many people will fight for their freedoms that they believe the government is taking away during Corona, but will refuse to fight for the freedoms that were taken away from George Floyd as he laid there on the ground. Being suffocated to death. In your quiet because you're afraid to say the wrong thing. You're quiet because you're afraid to be called out. And let me help you understand this. The reason you are afraid to talk about this situation, the reason you don't understand this situation is because you don't have friends that look different than you. You don't have close people who look different than you. You don't have people around you who are black that can speak to you and help you understand this also. And let me say this too, black people, you need white friends too, because if you're going to change the system, you need the people who made the system to change it. This is both sides. We need each other in this. And you can't understand the situation until you sit eye to eye with someone who understands it. You can't understand that situation until you listen to someone and hear their story. And here's what I've learned. Every black man I know has a story. Every black man I know has different stories. Stories of fear, stories of racism, stories of being called out. I mean, here's what's crazy. Two big Christian leaders in our community I know of in the last month were asked what they were doing while they were at their own homes. The cops were called on them because they looked different and they were at a place that they owned. See, I started to understand it when my black friends told me of the conversations they had with their fathers and how things were different. And when you went into a gas station to buy something, you got a receipt and a paper bag because you don't want to be considered someone that's a thief. You don't want to walk out and someone automatically assume you stole it. I've never felt that way. Or that when you're pulled over by the cops, you better keep your hands on the steering wheel. I have on multiple occasions reached into my dashboard, reached under my seat to get something with zero fear that the police officer would do anything to me. But this is a fear that our black friends face daily. I mean, my wife, if you want to watch it when she goes to Walmart with our twins, with our foster kids, you will see it. If you stand five feet behind, she had a man one time, a white man, come up to her and say, you are disgusting because she was a white woman with black children. Guys, I got, I, I'll be honest with you, in my life things have mounted, but fostering has made it so real. When you hold... a child of color in your arms and you see what's going on and you understand the world they are going into, 
it makes it so real. When you already know how much the deck is stacked against the black boys that you have, the fact that everyone sees them as dangerous, as everyone sees them as these, these hurtful people. And you know this, more black boys are not fostered or adopted because they're seen as dangerous. And that's why my heart hurts so much when I see the riots, because all it's doing for me is it's helping other people go, yep, it is exactly what it is. Black boys are dangerous. And what they are not seeing and what they are not seeing is that is a not a dangerous black person. That is a hurt, a confused and scared black person, not knowing what to do and responding in a way because they have lost their freedom. I'm not saying riots are okay. I'm not saying violence is okay. I am saying I understand it. In fact, when you look throughout history, every race has done some sort of riot. Protesting, of course. See, here's the problem. Racism at its heart strips away dignity. God-given dignity. And as Christians, understand this, our job is not to give someone their dignity. In fact, when we try to give someone their dignity, we come off as patronizing. In fact, we're actually exalting ourselves, believing we could do that. The only person that has given them dignity is God. And it's our job as Christians to affirm that and proclaim that and recognize that and remind others of that around us, that every man, woman, and child has that dignity. So what do we do? I want to look at two verses real quick. John 13, 34 and 35. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I has loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What does Jesus say? We've talked about this so much. Everybody know this. We say this over and over. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Who are the others? Well, Jesus was asked. And who did Jesus bring up? When he said, when they asked who do you need to love? Here's what's interesting. He doesn't bring up the Romans, the ones that are killing the Jewish people, the ones that are subjugating the Jewish people, the ones that are keeping them down. No, he brings up the people that the Jewish people hate. Why? Solely on race. Solely on race. He brings up the story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, he, has, he brings, makes the person that they hate the most the winner in the story, the hero in the story. Why? Because he wanted to break down racial walls because they have always existed and is always our job as Christians to break them down. And it's not just to break down these walls. It is to reconcile the church. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, this says, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When you become a Christian, you are new. But understand this, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of what? Of reconciling people to him. Of being peacemakers. Of bringing two sides together. Of bringing peace when we are going to love our neighbor, that means we must love them. And if we are going to love them, that means we must be in a relationship with them. Guys, understand this. You can't love someone without being in a relationship. 
Love requires relationship. You can't say I love a group of people but don't know any of them. See, we must be intentional in developing these friendships with people who look different than us, that live in different places and have different economic status. For so long, and this may be taken wrong, but please understand my heart in this. For so long in the church, what we've done is to understand what is going on with race in this country is we put a person of color or a black pastor up on stage to explain to the white church what is going on so we can understand that. But what we've realized over time, not that we don't need more diversity from the pulpit, it is the white pastor that needs to tell the white church that this can no longer stand. And when this stuff happens, I know what goes on right now with the millennial generation. We go online, Gen Z, we go online, we watch the black pastors. But let me understand this, and I want you to get this. Watching a black pastor on TV explain racism and helping us understand his situation will never replace inviting a black person into your living room to understand who they are. You cannot love somebody from afar. You cannot understand a situation from stage. Should we listen to those people? Absolutely. I've watched so many messages this week. But watching someone on TV can never replace a relationship. You will never fully be able to empathize with what is going on unless you sit across from a person whose eyes are tearing up and explaining what it is that is happening. I mean, we see Jesus do this with the Samaritan woman. He sat down with her at a place that she naturally would go. In fact, here's what's interesting. Jesus chose to go through Samaria. Jesus chose, normally what Jewish people would do is they would go around Samaria. Jesus chose to go through Samaria. I'm sure the disciples were like, hey, wait a second. That says MLK Avenue. We can't be here. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. This is where we need to be. Because he knew he needed to break down racist walls in his disciples. He knew he needed to break down racist walls in that community. He needed them to understand the dignity that they held in God. People of color, I need you to be okay with talking to us. I need you to be okay with dealing with us. And in the same way, you need white friends too because you need to understand the other side. You need to understand the fear and the shame and the things that are going on. And besides that, you also want to ask them questions too. Because I know this, every black person has looked at some stuff that white people are doing. They're going, what are they doing? Right? I mean, as this quarantine was starting to let go, one of the first things that opened was the blueberry picking thing. And you watched white people go to a field and they had the choice of either picking somebody else's fruit for free or paying to pick their own fruit. And I know this because I've talked to black people and they're looking at this online and going, ain't that some white? And you're like, why do white people do that? Well, you should ask us. We don't know. 
But we need people in our lives. We need people in our lives that we can sit across from and I can go, hey, why does this happen? What does this mean? Why do, they, why do black people get mad when I say this? And black people need white people to say the same things. We need people around us in those ways. We need to take the risk to start the conversation. We must listen to what they have to say and then we must learn from it. For many of you, the hardest thing right now is going to realize that some of the biggest figures in your life were racist. Some of the most influential figures in your life, whether it be your parents, an uncle, whatever, a grandparent, said some things that you're holding on to because you believe if you hold on to that, then they're okay. Look, we need to get past defending those in our past and understand they are where they are and God's going to deal with their heart and understand that things are racist. And for those of you that are yelling at the church saying the church needs to change this, the church needs to take a step. Yes, the church is taking a step and we can do that from the pulpit, but is the Christian that has to take the step in relationship. A church will change nothing if the Christian doesn't understand it is their responsibility to start it. We can't force relationships. That's up to you. This also requires, and let me just say this to people of color, this is the natural time where people of color leave the church. Is the natural time where we separate, as MLK said, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is the most segregated time in America. I need people of color and I need people who are white to come together and understand for this to work. We must have conversations that are uncomfortable and move forward so that what we can do is we can make this church look like what heaven is, which is not what most churches look like. Let me just say, if you don't like diversity, you won't like heaven. And understand this reconciliation can't happen if both sides aren't at the table. White people can't reconcile to black people if they're not at the table. Black people, we can't, you can't tell us what we should be doing if we're not sitting at the table with you. And here, here's what I hear many times. I hear, well, white people should just know. I mean, you look at history, you look at the news, they should just know. And let me just explain to you what happens when white people are on their own. Here's what we do. We look in history, we feel bad. We look at news, we feel bad. We feel awful, we feel horrible. George Floyd happens and we spill our tears on Facebook and Instagram. Not so that things will change, but that will, black people will affirm that we feel bad. You have a whole bunch of people wanting to be affirmed that they feel bad, not understanding that they don't need to be affirmed. They need to take a step forward because they're not the ones truly hurting. It is their black brothers and sisters that are. And that only happens when you can sit across from someone and know somebody enough so that when they see George Floyd's face on that TV, they don't just see George Floyd, they see you. They see their friends. They see the eyes of the children around them. And they understand that could have been them too. That's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes powerful. When the relationship forms. And white people, and I know I'm saying white, and there's more races to this. And understand, guys, please don't. Under, say that I'm not including other races in this. I'm just saying right now, it is, that, is the, that is the line that's being drawn. 
And many times we go, but I don't understand what they're going through. I can't empathize with their pain, so I don't want to call them. Understand, you don't need to fully understand. You just need to go, hey, I'm here for you. I've talked to several black people that have said, my friends just aren't talking to me. And I go, don't take that the wrong way. They just don't know what to say. But let me just say this, friends, you should talk to them. Even though you will never understand their pain, because at being white, you will never understand their pain, you can still empathize with them. My wife went through birth pain. She was pregnant. I can never, ever say I understand her pain. In fact, if I do, I will be killed immediately. Here's what I can do. And what I did, I can sit next to her. I can hold her hand. I can cry with her. I can feel helpless in the moment and love her through the entire thing. I will never understand it, but I can empathize with someone that I love. As Christians, being uncomfortable should be our new normal. We should be so okay with being uncomfortable that when we're comfortable, we should ask, wait, what's going on? In fact, when you look throughout the entire Bible, guys, they were always uncomfortable because God was always working on them. God was always showing them something new. See, as Christians, we need to seek relationship and we need to seek knowledge. Knowledge in a couple places. We need to seek knowledge in the Bible because it talks about this a lot. And it talks about reconciliation. We need to seek knowledge from friends that are black, that are different than us, that look different than us. And we need to seek knowledge in history because we know this. The only way to change the future is to understand the past. The only way to kill systematic racism is to understand how the system was built. Guys, if we don't move forward, if we don't make changes, we will be here again in a couple months going, is this happening again? And if it does, we need to be next to holding, hugging, and standing with our black brothers and sisters. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be agents of change. God, I pray that you would help us do that. God, I pray that you give us the words to do that. God, I pray that we would seek out the friendships that we need to have right now. God, I pray that we would be bold. Just pick up the phone. Ask someone in our small group. Just be honest and forthright. God, I pray wherever we are that you're working on our hearts. God, I pray that you make us uncomfortable tonight in a way that allows us to understand change, the need for change. God, I pray you continue to give us opportunities to show that we are the church. And in Jesus' name I pray.